Hello, it's Charlotte's sister C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and G&F Financial Group. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast. Today, we are continuing to celebrate Women's History Month, theme of breaking the bias. Today's bias that we are talking about breaking is against or related to entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs. We have two featured speakers, Deborah Thorne, who's if you can read and see, is the <laughs> those of you who just listened won't see it, but she's the information diva. And uh, that is one of the things that I know most from her because when I uh, moved to, to, to Los Angeles and the part-time work I do in Los Angeles, Deborah has given me information about so many things. She's taken people on cruises, uh, trade explorations to other countries, and continues to work to connect people through the podcast. Our other special guest is someone that you've seen and known as one of the podcast mentors and production team members, Nancy Sinclair. She has a business that I've said the happiest place, but it's actually the happiest pups. <laughs> and she will be talking about her business. And uh, what we always do at the beginning is have the people that came on early uh, introduce themselves briefly. And if you have a particular entrepreneurial memory, person that inspired you, you can say their name. So we'll start with the first person that came on was Neil. Yeah, hi. I'm uh, trying to get enough light here. So I'm, I'm sitting in my, my balcony window. So, ah, so uh, my name is Neil Ryan. I'm a poet. I have a, I have a book on Amazon called From the Other Side. And uh, I'm quite happy to be here today, hopefully to read you one of my poems. And Charlotte, I did not get a warning that you're recording this. And so I wonder if you are recording because there was no, I always get a warning when you click on the record. Yeah, it I, says up at the top recording. Okay, far out. <laughs> uh, far out. Thank you. Yes, uh, Leslie? Uh, yeah, I'm Leslie Hebert from New Westminster, and I don't know if I have any sort of entrepreneurial women that have influenced me at all. Um, most of the women in my life have been sort of non-entrepreneurs. Um, it seems to me I've basically explored entrepreneurship myself when the the children were small i had a typing business in my home and I kind of started out that way uh now i'm i'm still teaching as part of my own business teaching on the internet and trying to get into the writing world as well so 
yeah, I guess it's me rather than anybody around me. That's promote yourself is a thing that <laughs> entrepreneurs have to do. Uh, Dr. Ramona. Hi, I'm Dr. Ramona, a retired professor from Bombay University. And I've moved from Toronto to Vancouver, but originally I'm from Bombay and always like to share some stories of Bombay with this very inspiring community of people whom I've met at the Powered by Age podcast. Um, I have for several years of my life, almost 30, um, conducted um, a, 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 what shall I say, a coaching class for tutoring French students in French in my house, um, apart from teaching in college. And my students included um, several film stars from Bollywood. And also one of them was the grandson of the then prime minister, Moraji Desai. So very happy to be with the two wonderful entrepreneurs today, Ms. Thorne and Nancy Sinclair. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I am Charlotte Sister C. Farrell. I am a triple entrepreneur. I am a semi-retired speaker, teacher, author, and revitalizer. I elicit stories from people and turn them into digital media, such as this podcast and short films. I also got my inspirational insp inspiration from my grandmother, who was a Charlotte. She had all these chickens when I was a child. And I thought her children were all grown. Why did she have all those chickens? Well, I remember a little man that used to come over every afternoon and he was collecting her eggs. So she sold eggs. She also made bread. People would be on our porch on Saturday mornings to, to uh, get some of her bread. And my first entrepreneurial job when I was 12, I asked my aunt and mother to teach me grandma's recipe. And I had Bread, bread customers in our neighborhood. So speaking of work, I want to acknowledge that our work takes part, takes place on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Salewatu nations. We look forward to the ways that that land that we're using will be, that they'll be compensated for and reunited with these ancient lands. So um, now going over to our speakers, Deborah Thorne, I mentioned, is the information diva. Her business is in <laughs> is making other people's business better, and uh, she will introduce herself. And Nancy uh, has been excellently supporting. She supports lots of entrepreneurs. One of them, people in the travel business. She's going to be talking about her travelogue business, and she is writing about something that's another one of her um, entrepreneurial things, which is the happiest pets place. <laughs> uh, okay, Deborah. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, Charlotte. And hello, everyone. I am Deborah Thorne, the Information Diva. I'm an author, coach, trainer, speaker, and the proud host of the Leverage Conference for Speakers, Authors, and Entrepreneurs, which will be happening November 10th. 11th and 12th, and this is our fourth year, and I'm like so happy about that. I consider myself a connector. I connect people to people, 
and people to opportunities. I believe that um, that's the way to go. That, you know, how do we make things happen? How do we get in front of cameras? How do we get technical difficult this is technical difficulties oh, yeah. days i'm back <laughs> can you hear me now yes okay I, you know what we have to learn to live with technology yesterday we were off the internet the entire day and what it said to me was you know we're in a time of war and should we go dark, we're going to have a problem. Uh, it happened, uh, you know, all the spectrum went down yesterday. I, don't, I have no idea why. Um, we know that there have been interferences from other countries before. And all that said to me, and I say to you, get some cash in your house and figure out ways that you will survive otherwise, because so much of our world is connected to the internet. We couldn't turn the television on. We couldn't do anything internet related. Um, and life is very different. We depend on this a lot. So I have no idea why you couldn't hear me. All my stuff said it was working, but it wasn't. So anyway, I'm back. Yeah, when I first turned it on, my voice, my system said, your microphone is not working with the system. And it went off for five minutes to do adjustments. So it, it is. I think that there was yeah, an announcement. Yeah, I, on, I, uh, I really global. believe something's happening, but yeah. we can't get, you know, getting fearful is not going to help. Um, and everyone has their opinion about what's going on and how to fix it. And I, you know, like everyone else, I have an opinion, but, you know, it is what it is. So we will continue on with the information diva. This is powered by age. We are powered by the universe. So we are going to go on <laughs> and hear about Deborah's experiences and gift as an entrepreneur. Okay, so I am a serial entrepreneur. I've been um, an entrepreneur since about age 18. I've sold everything there was to sell. Tupperware, Princess House, Avon, Tupperware again, Princess House again. I think I did Avon a couple of times. I started, I did, um, oh gosh, I taught modeling and held uh, beauty pageants and fashion shows for plus size women and children. I, you know, I always and I became the information diva because whenever my friends would tell me something they enjoyed doing, I could figure out a stream of income that went along with that. And I said there has to be a way to make some money doing that. And I put it together, and there was the birth of the information diva. One of the things I always say to people is that you need a guide, you need a mentor, a coach. Everybody does. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the only thing worse than having a, than not having a coach is having the wrong coach. And when I first started, I had the wrong coach from a very uh, prestigious organization, paid her a lot of money to tell me that the information diva wouldn't work. I'd have to change the name because people wouldn't understand what I meant. And I love that I'm as stubborn as I am. And I said, all that says to me is you are not my ideal client. And she wasn't. The women that I want to serve who are over the age of 50 generally and are looking to generate income doing something based on what they already know, they'll understand and I'll be able to help them. And so that's where I am today. Um, I use Tyler Perry as a guide. He said, while you're down, while you're begging people for a seat at their table, I'll be down in Atlanta building my own. And that's where he built his studio. And I feel the same way. I think that too often 
we let other people's biases, the other people's ways of thinking about us, whether we're too old, too young, too white, too black, too large, too small, determine whether or not we get on a platform to do what it is we feel either called to do or want to try or whatever. And my thing is that if we spend time collaborating, we can create anything that we want to have happen. And especially with technology, the way it is, I was on a call with someone today that showed me a brand new piece of technology and I'm going to go learn and work it. And it's where people can actually walk through a conference or walk through a, a, a tape, a place of selling stuff. So I'm going to take a look at it and we're going to play with it because as people, and I, you know, proudly say I'm on level seven of life and I'm very grateful to be there because I had some things happen that, make it a miracle that I'm still here. But, you know, if we don't try stuff now, when are we going to try it? So, you know, I love um, being empowered by age because think about it. We all know friends who are scared to try the internet. They're scared to try video. There's, and I always say to them, what do you think is going to happen? You know, like somebody going to jump out of the computer and get you, you know, try, you're going to make a mistake. Okay. You're one of my mentors, I always say that he's not a mentor. I pay him. He's a coach. One of my coaches always says your first 50 of anything are not going to be good. So it's your first 50 books, your first 50 podcasts, your first 50 speeches, your first 50 are not going to be good. 51 is going to be phenomenal. So let's hurry up and get that. So whether you're thinking about writing a book, I say not only write it, but write it quickly. People like me show you how to do it in less than 90 days. Get it done. When I hear someone say, I can't write my book because it costs too much, my question is, do you have $2.50? If you do, I can show you how to get your book in your hand. Um, and that goes with all the technology that we have. And so it is the perfect time, in my opinion, for entrepreneurship. Think about what you like to do, what you've wanted to do, what you wish somebody had presented to you, and where is the income stream with it? And remember, one of the wonderful things about being this place in life is that it does not have to be our main gig, if you will. We don't have to make a lot of money doing it. We have to enjoy it, and it needs to pay for itself. And if it takes me out to dinner, that's good. If it takes me on vacation, that's great. But it doesn't have to do those things because we figured out how to do those basic things another way. But it allows us to be more creative than we ever could have been because you know more now than you ever knew. And now there's technology that allows you to do it. And so when we run up against the biases, when someone says you're too old, you're too fat, you're too black, you're too whatever, that's OK, because that's their opinion. And, you know, bless them, they're entitled to their opinion. But technology and collaboration and networking with people has allowed us to say, okay, that's how you feel. But we have a podcast that is strictly uh, for people who are of a certain age, or we are doing a book over here that is for men or that is for women. We have the ability to do that. And I really want to encourage you that if you've got any kind of inkling of something you want to do. I know you can always reach out to Charlotte, so I don't feel bad about that, but reach out to me. Let me hear it, because sometimes just saying it is enough to get it started. And then when you have people who will encourage you, and I will, I say, well, you know what it sounds like you need to do is start doing Facebook Lives, and that's a way to let people know or start. 
So it doesn't have to cost money, but we can out be doing what we need to do. And that's how I see us breaking biases. Any questions or comments? <laughs> hey, I got to say, Deborah, you're dynamite. You are absolute dynamite. Thank, well, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. And I want I want more information about this two dollars and fifty cent publishing. That's what and it's actually I said I was gonna quit saying two dollars. It's actually two dollars and fifteen cents will get a book in your hand. Okay, so when people talk about I don't have the money for it, mm -mm, mm -mm. all you need to know are what the steps are. And if you can get your book in a PDF form, I'll show you how to upload it and be gone. That's my gift. You can, you can have your book done in 90 days or less. The quickest one I ever had done, somebody did it in seven days. I would not recommend that to anybody because she made herself crazy, made me real crazy. But if you have something that you've been wanting to say, now is the time to say it and have a book that says it. I have a full manuscript. Charlotte can tell you I have a book called The Brighton Tarot Card Mystery. I think you have a copy, Charlotte. I do okay, have. The only yes. thing you have to do is it has to be in PDF form. So I, I, I can do that to PDF, no problem. Put it, put it in a PDF, then I will talk to you. We'll talk to you about putting the cover in a PDF, and you can have your book. As soon as you get the PDF ready, the book is like a week or two after that. You have the book in your hand. Promise. Where where are you located in the U.S.? I'm in Los Angeles, but we do everything this way. Because explain explain diva to twenty one hundred uh, to twenty one thousand. Okay, <laughs> text diva to twenty one thousand. Let me explain to you. That is my digital business card, and it's like you would take your to. Oh, you know what? I need my international number. You guys can't use text diva. And I don't know the international number. I was just on a call about it today. And I said, oh, I'm going to write my international number down. And I didn't. But the way it works is a person goes in to send a text message. And where it says that where you would put the number you were sending it to would be 21,000. So 21,000. And then the message is diva. When you type diva in, it automatically sends you a message that says, hey, you want my business card? And you click on that and it opens up all stuff about me. But I don't think it works in Canada because we were having that conversation about international numbers. And I do have an international number. I will dig it up and have Charlotte get it to you guys. The easy in the meantime, you could give people your email. Well, I was going to give them my phone number. Okay. I'm that person. You can do okay. that too. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, you know, oh, watch this. This isn't that big audience I can. And I just remembered it's going out on the radio, but that's all right. I'm good. Then my number is 310-497-1640. The best way to reach me is to send me a text message, and then I'll get back to you. And what is exciting within this group, we have a number of people that have, there have been 44 people that have participated over the time that we've accumulated these 100 episodes. But some, many of them are writers, many are Teachers, many have, have been told, oh, nobody wants to hear that. It was reaffirmed at just about every conference that has happened during uh, the writing conferences, the women's conferences, that there are a lot of people who do want to know. We are reservoirs of knowledge. Part of what the AFC for Powered by Age is, is creating an age-friendly community. And the way that we do that also, that gives people an opportunity to be published 
some of you who've tried to put an ad onto a radio station know, or a TV station, the lowest price for one of the popular stations that uh, Deborah and I both have had experience advertising on in Los Angeles is $350 for 30 seconds. And you had to buy a package of them. Uh, the opportunity to record your stories, your poems, it spins stories, poems, interviews, and novelties. Because some people have some things they've done that are novel, but you can record it. Most people we've given at least fifteen minutes. Uh, that's in one spin, and it's when things are on a website, it's like evergreen. People can come there at any time of day or night and they can listen to what you have. We're going to be doing increased promotion about it, but this gives an opportunity for you to publicize what you're doing on our website. So I am encouraging people for the end of the month when we have our hundredth episode, uh, get some more things posted. Uh, Jesse, our technical person who's not on with us today has posted some times that he has available. Make sure that you take advantage of that because it doesn't always happen. Everything that's available now may not be available five months from now. So do take advantage of that so that we will have uh, these powered by age, these wonderful stories by people 50 plus. And now Nancy is there pondering over what she's going to tell with the way that I've renamed her business because the way that she says it was so much cheer. So Nancy Sinclair, tell us about your business. (laughs) Thank you, Charlotte. Well, it is actually called, um, what is it called? (laughs) Happiest Pop. Uh, pet sitting services, but you would like to refer to it as the happiest place. And you know what? It is the happiest place. That's why they're happy puppies. <laughs> so I've never heard anyone having so much fun as Nancy has with her, her puppies. I've talked to her sometimes when she's out on the trail and she's the person that walks, that takes a knee when there's a bear <laughs> up the hill somewhere and the bear goes by and like salutes her. Hi, mom. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to stop so you can talk. <laughs> certainly been some experiences, certainly been some experiences. So thank you, Charlotte. Yes, my name is Nancy Sinclair. And as Charlotte mentioned, I have a a pet sitting and dog walking business currently that I've been doing as a business owner for the past eight years. And I've had all sorts of different types of businesses as an entrepreneur over the years that are so unrelated to one another. And as with Deborah, I started young. I started as a babysitter, made a lot of money as a babysitter, was... uh, if I think on it now, actually, it was kind of fun that I was always so highly recommended. I take that as a real point of pride. And then I realized that now I'm connecting it to pet sitting um, because pets for families are like their kids. They love them like their kids. They're precious to them. And so it really comes down to a matter of trust. And um, and that was, that was one of the um, qualities that was really important to me when I was considering doing dog walking and pet sitting. And it came from a space of, you know, what is it that I love to do that I would do if I was, you know, earning money with it or not. And it had to do with my love of dogs. It had to do with, with being out and about because I love being outside. I love fun and adventure and recreation. And I just love the feeling I have when I'm with dogs. So that's where it initiated from. But I've had all sorts of different businesses over the years. I used to do send out cards, which was an online business. I used to have an environmental business. And um, 
travel agency business. I've been a radio show host and um, used to work around personal development and spiritual development and um, video store business. And so certainly (laughs) completely unrelated to dog walking. And some of the questions that you had uh, kind of put out there for us to consider, Charlotte, had been about bias that, that Deborah spoke about a little bit. And any examples, and it was interesting as I thought back on some of those experiences, I recall in particular when I was involved and had my environmental business. And at the time I was married. And, and so it was a joint venture with my husband and he had, he had the educational credentials. He had done all the training and, and long before I had met him and he'd actually been doing house inspections to start with. And then we got involved in environmental consulting, both residential and commercial and um, and I did all my training and learning on, on the job, so to speak, in the field. And what came back to me is I remember being at the bank one day and we were doing our paperwork and whatever else it is that we had to do with one of the bank managers. And I was the president of the company. And I recall the bank manager in a very condescending tone towards me in order to uplift him, make a comment about how he had much more power in the company than I did, that I was president and he was the treasurer the secretary. And I, and I just remember that little, <laughs> and uh, I was like, hmm. So at the time, it, you know, it, it triggered in me some, you know, just some little lack of confidence issues, but, I, but it was just an interesting experience. And so I have had different uh, experiences with bias over the years. And, and then being in an environmental field was very much a male-dominated field. And, and as I built the business up, I got involved in certain types of testing and field work and, and remediation work and that sort of thing. I did all the hiring and firing of crews and organized all the crews and and uh, managed and supervised and and I would go to the different sites and I would put together the proposals for the work and cost estimates and budgeting and and I'm a very organized person and so I was all about systems so having the right equipment for everybody having everybody trained correctly um, lots of scheduling involved there were lots of intricacies in it and and I recall a few times having uh, some of the employees, some of the, the men that I hired to work for me just challenged me to the bitter end. And it would be their attitude. It would be, you know, if there was a certain way they needed to do a certain thing to get it done correctly. <laughs> you know, they would just do it the opposite way around. And it was, and it was always trying to find that space of, you know, being professional, being kind, uh, being clear, being a good communicator, being a leader, uh, wanting them to do the work, delegate things, not micromanage. And, um, you know, but there was a part of me, it's like, just do the job right. (laughs) And without the attitude. And, and I recall even from different authority figures, like different authorities that would come in, say, to critique our work. We had to meet requirements, say, with WorkSafe. 
or uh, you know different different entities. Um, the difference between if I was there on site, even with other women. So if there were women in those other positions that came in to have to to give to sign off on the work that I had done, you know, depending on their mood, depending on whether who else was involved on the site, whether my husband was there in the capacity of the business, or like it was quite interesting and in how either they would become more rigid and, and difficult to connect with, uh, a little bit more condescending. And, and I also have had that situation many times over where if I was speaking to, to whatever was going on on the site and we were meeting protocols and we had you know, all of our paperwork in order to explain what we were gonna do and the order we were gonna do it and to make sure we, we met all the requirements. There was always a difference, especially when the inspector came in. If I was on site on my own and, and I had to report to them and, and get signed off versus if there was a male figure on site. And sure enough, if my husband was there, like I say, in the capacity of, of, of his position there, the times that they would turn and interact with him directly and just like, like I didn't exist. And, and he might, and he himself, he was, you know, very, very good at what he did. And, um, and we had lots of opportunities where we worked together extremely well. And, but there were, there were moments of course, that not so well. And I remember times that he would refer to me as a sextatory and nothing would send me off more than calling me a secretary. And, and I, for me, I had a difficult time at times with that balance because he would want to take, you know, he, he was trying to find a place to think of, you know, being a business person in a business with a spouse, wanting to have some levity and, and you know, affection in it. But I was like either or, like, you know, when we're in business together, as far as I'm concerned, we're not married. And so when we would go onto sites or, you know, meet customers and this sort of thing, and especially in the beginning, because I did a lot of, um, because like I said, it wasn't my field. And so I learned a lot on field in conjunction with him. And what was interesting out of it too, is he taught me a lot of the procedures and protocols for certain types of inspections and testing that we would do. And, and I was all, I'm all about questions, all about questions. And I learned a lot from all sorts of different resources and, and things. And then I started questioning some of his protocols. And I was just like, yeah, but I thought you were supposed to do this way. Well, then, then, then. but I thought you were supposed to do it this way. And so <laughs> that became a bit of a, a rub between us. So when we were on site, um, whether it was just an initial consultation with a client I was very adamant about not introducing myself as his spouse. I was my own individual person. Um, I didn't use the same last name. And it caused a lot of conflict between us because, and if it ever did come across, and sometimes let's say that we were outside doing an inspection, I don't want to hear him calling, oh, honey, could you go to the vehicle and could you get this instrument? Don't call me honey. I'm not your honey. I'm at work. I'm in a business, I have a position, I'm a consultant, this is what I'm doing. So my concern was always about that being overheard by a customer 
because to me it was very unprofessional and it took away from the credibility, not only of myself, but of him and the business. And I really wanted to represent a very powerful professional, you know, business and, and operate from that place. So I have had that experience of, and, and then if a customer, even a potential customer would have heard that, then they treat they treated us differently. They treated us differently as individuals. They treated us different. It's almost just like, oh wow, you're just like you're the neighbor coming over for tea, you know, sort of thing. So it so definitely I have experienced um, some different biases. And what's interesting too is I as I thought on some of these questions that you posed to us, I recall him very clearly saying that, and I watched him do it that depending on the um, consultation we went to he had figured out that if he wore glasses that people would treat him differently than if he didn't wear glasses so if he went into a into a uh, a visit like that we had set up that i had set up as a consultation to review whatever we were going to review depending on his uh prior knowledge of who we were going to go and see and what the conversation was going to be about he would wear glasses because it would increase his confidence and his ability to believe. So even if he was like kind of, you know, talking on the side of his mouth and, and was not really knowing what he was talking about, wearing the glasses just gave him that little extra sense of authority, right? So it's really interesting to, to think back on some of those different dynamics and um, in terms of, of bias. So, yeah. I've experienced some of those and, you know, some of now it's like with humor, but then what ways we talked about with Women's History Month, um, breaking the bias, what ways can we encourage other people who either may be new as entrepreneurs, new in that situation, what things can we encourage them to do to break that particular way that other people might stereotypically treat them? I think partly one idea would be to, to do some research on it and and have some get some ideas of how subtle some of those experiences can be and how they show up and what other people have experienced because it seems to i think in my experience in different parts of my life sometimes something has occurred something has happened and it hasn't settled well with me in the moment but i haven't necessarily had the awareness to really understand what just happened and I'm a person that takes time to process things. And, and so there could be subtle things occurring that you're not really aware of. And bias can show up in, in so many different ways and respects without even being aware of it. And from a personal development slash spiritual aspect of things, for women, for men, for everybody, but perhaps for folks on women in particular, I think the more you get to really do your inner work to know who you are and trust who you are and build that confidence and explore past experiences of your life. And if you're focusing on personal development, if you're focusing on career building, if you're focusing on being an entrepreneur, there are so many amazing resources in terms of books, online physical books, coaches like Deborah is and coaches that Deborah would have as her coach to really guide us to think, okay, 
this is an idea, like Deborah said, this is an idea I have. How can I explore it? How can I get support on it? Has it been done before? And then, like you say, that does it feel like the more confident we are in ourselves, the more we are aware of those little triggers that come up that we may not process in the moment? Because if it's not feeling and flow, like if you get that little gut reaction, something's out of whack. And so I think it's a process. I, I know and the younger you can start, <laughs> I think the better. <laughs> I think the better, you know, just to continue to become strong, independent, really confident women that um, can go and explore and, and do all sorts, because anything is possible, right? Anything is possible. Dr. Ramona, you've had an experience in visiting students, or even as you're, you're here, things that maybe family members might have thought, you're retired. <laughs> but uh, the difference in perception that I think you mentioned at one time, students that you taught at one point when you were younger, the perception they had when they saw you older visiting for a recognition. Yeah, it was, in, I mean, um, I had this wonderful experience where uh, some of my students whom I taught maybe around 35 years ago, they, they kind of uh, decided to have a, um, a meeting with the teachers. And, and uh, I, I completely changed from, what, from who I was when I taught them. So I was Miss Lobo. And I had this different attire and hairstyle. And when I got married, that changed completely. I grew long hair and I had a plait and a dot and I wore the sari. And so they would never recognize me. And I didn't keep in touch. So they had to, you know, to, to take a lot of effort to find out where I was. And I don't know how they found. And then they they invited me and they made me come to this very uh, glamorous house where they lived and and then they made all these kinds of comments about how I looked and you know <laughs> what was I doing all those years and it was great seeing them because they were um, they belonged to various important business houses in India you may not be familiar with these names that I'm going to mention right now, but they were, uh, say, Birlas, um, the the Hindujas, the Mittals. So their fathers originally had these very big businesses to do with textiles or steel or construction. And then they inherited those businesses. So when I met them now, um, after those 35 years, they were in their 40s. And so it was really great to see them and wonderful to know how much they remembered about me and what I taught them. And so I, I feel that it's a very rewarding experience to be a teacher and to have so much of influence, positive influence on the values of the future generation. So that, that's what I'd like to say <laughs> about my experiences. I found that, you know, when as Nancy mentioned getting angry, I don't really have a temper. <laughs> I, but I, I grew up with, with out in our neighborhood, it was all boys. 
I mean, it was three girls and maybe 30 boys. And my oldest cousin, who was two years, two years older than me, that was my ticket to go anywhere. And he would tell me certain things, you know, don't cry, don't do this. Um, and he was a protector because if anywhere I went, they know this is Jimmy's cousin. However, uh, and, and how to fight. I, I had an experience like some people have as children uh, being went home from school and you know, these girls were going to beat me up because there was another girl that they didn't like and I was befriending her. Well, I went to the boys in my neighborhood and I said, can you teach me how to fight? And when they taught me how to fight, you know, I never had another fight from fifth grade through graduation. But I also, you know, there's some things that I don't take lightly and I have to speak to the Charlotte that would want to leave my handprint on their face. And I was at a conference uh, working as public health officer, information person at a conference. I went to a conference in another province and I went in the bathroom and these women were in there and they asked me something about the toilet paper. Where was the toilet paper cup? And I thought, I have on a suit. They just assume because I'm black that I know about the toilet paper. And I really had to, as Deborah Thorne teaches people to do, breathe <laughs> and say in my professional voice, I'm sorry, I have no idea where the toilet paper is. I am one of the speakers. <laughs> and then they looked embarrassed. But I think um, we do have a responsibility to have people recognize us in the roles that we're in. I've had the experience also of being a dietitian, uh, going to a conference with the chef for an entity place. And we were, it was, a you know, how food companies have these things where they show you all the new products. And my badge said buyer, his said chef. But as we were talking to some people, they were turning. It's like, do I not have a voice? Do they not see me? Because all of the purchase direct, they, you know, things they were directing to him. And so I thought, there's a way to treat people, teach people how not to treat you like that. Everybody that treated me like that, I left their paper and I, I, I said, well, you know, we'll get back to you. But I didn't. And I thought maybe they'll think, why didn't they get back to her? Maybe it's because the way we treated that woman. And I've had opportunities. We encourage people taking part in this to speak up. A show that radio show that this will be heard on tomorrow is called Speak Up, Listen Up, Act Upon What You've Heard. Uh, all of us as knowledge bearers and people who are retired from different areas, we have an, a responsibility to command respect without being nasty. Don't have to scream, yell, shake your head all around, bang on tables and throw things over the floor. But sometimes just saying with authority, excuse me, you know, I'm here as a representative of whoever, or excuse me, my business is I'm the author of From the Other Side. I was here first, or I'm trying to explain to you what my book is about. And so as we do that, it also teaches other people who are watching that we are people to be reckoned with, that our age is a reservoir of knowledge, skills, etc. Okay, I wanted to jump in a little bit here because uh, when Nancy was talking, she was speaking of what we call now microaggressions, you know, the little bitty things that happen that people say. And we're built with a wonderful system. It hits you in your gut when it doesn't feel right. You know when it doesn't feel right. You may not have processed the proper way to handle it mm -hmm. or what it is, but you felt 
something was amiss. And what I want to encourage us to do is to speak up. You know, I wrote an article, to be silent is to be complicit. So if I don't speak up, I'm adding to the problem. Now, it can be as simple as saying, you know, something about what you said just didn't sit well with me. I don't have the full answer right now, but I will get back to you because that didn't feel good. I have to let you know that you don't get to talk to me any kind of way mm-hmm. and that I can do it in a dignified manner, um, you know, using all of my best conflict resolution skills, which does start, you're right, Charlotte, with breathing. Let me breathe first so that I can come across as poised as I possibly can. And I can simply say, you know, there's something about that that doesn't feel good. I don't have the exact information yet, but I will get back to you because it's not too late. Yeah, that's true too, but it takes a while. It's okay. Yeah, and because you're new in the country, for example, that you want to be friendly, that you don't want to misinterpret people and then you don't want them to think that you're belligerent. I've been called belligerent because... Because you're supposed to still, still up for yourself. I know. <laughs> Take a look at me. I'm the angry black woman. It's okay. But you know what? Sometimes you need an angry black woman in the room. Okay. I, you know, if you'll allow me, I will share with you. I will tell you I need to process this. I need to think. But if you think while we're doing this, you're going to walk over me. No, you get to see the other side. And then, then it's like, oh, my goodness, why well, didn't mean to offend you. Clearly, you did when I told you. And I had this happen recently. I was in a meeting about business. And somehow they got on health and they got on weight. And as everyone can see, I am a large woman. Um, and the conversation was, well, people are large just because all they got to do is stop eating and they won't be. And I said, you know. We, I'm going to ask you to change the conversation because some of us are addicted. You know, food is an addiction and it's the only addiction that you have to touch. If you're a drug addict or you smoke cigarettes or you're an alcoholic, you don't ever have to touch those substances again in life. But those of us who have challenges with food must touch that substance every single day. So can we now switch the conversation? Oh, we didn't mean to offend you. And uh, no, 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 I'm not offended, but we're going to switch the conversation. Well, all I said was I heard what you said. We will change the conversation. And then I let it go quiet. And of course, the conversation changed. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. There are ways those are, you know, in conflict resolution, we call it sitting in the silence. Silence is a vacuum. And it wants to, people want to fix it. Nope. Create something that makes everybody silent and just let it be silent. That speaks louder than any yelling and screaming we can do. But every time we don't address something, a microaggression, it builds on, like you said, well, yeah, next time I'll um, see it sooner. Yes, you will. But it's dug you down a little bit deeper because that stuff does stick. You know, sticks and stones may break your bones and words hurt too. Okay, so yes, you are being harmed by words. So my thing is, you know, people have to understand how best to treat me and I can teach you how to treat me. You don't say anything that comes through your head, out your mouth to me. It it won't end well. And so, you know, I'll I'll say to people, you might not want to talk to me like that. 
Yes. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm part of Charlotte too. <laughs> we act ugly if need be. Um, that connects to something that we have been doing each week. We always have, we have poems and we have stories. Neil has written more poems than anyone in, in our, this is what, our 97th, this is the 98th, Leslie, Leslie is our historian. Uh, 97. 97th. And we're working toward 100, but a good number of those 97 episodes, Neil has had a poem of the week. And poetry is one of the other ways that people can discharge emotions. You're able to not directly talk to someone, but when they read the poem, they can see and feel themselves in it. So he has written a poem uh, related to what's happening in the Ukraine and we're going to have him share that now. And to just know that's another thing. Sometimes you don't have to immediately address something. You can sit and write a poem or write a story about it. And in getting it out to the world, it helps people to think about how they're treating people. Okay, Neil? Yes, thank you. Uh, one of the tools that I've used for years and years is to write myself a letter about what's what I feel about circumstances, what I feel about experiences. So uh, you don't have to send the letter, you've written it. But I was a management consultant and I did a lot of work and I flew to London, England with a client and uh, during part of our negotiations with a, with a contract, uh, I took a walk up the street, and I was we were in Portsmouth, England, and uh, there was a, da a, a church that had been damaged, and, but they didn't fix the damage, they just cleaned up the mess, and it's... I stood in front of a church, and here's my poem. It's called The Church With No Roof. A boy stood at the doorway to the church with no roof. It also had no windows. It also had no doors. The walls still stood, but between them lay the rubble. Just yesterday, it was a whole church with a roof and windows and doors. He had walked by here yesterday on his way to school as he does every day on his way to school. Just yesterday, it was a whole church with a roof and windows and doors. Just yesterday, his world was a whole world with a roof and windows and doors. Just yesterday, he had a father. Proudly, he marched alongside as soldiers two by two passed the church and boarded their train to fate. But this day is different, for the church has no roof, and he, and he no longer has the secure knowing of where his father is. Just yesterday, his pride was whole, with a roof and windows and doors. Mom says we are safe in the underground, but I feel mother's fear, the fear that teaches me to be afraid of those I know not, the confusion of emotion inside for love for some 
and vengeful rage at others. He dare not think that they hate him so and wish his father dead. Just yesterday, his emotions were whole with a roof and windows and doors. He has a place inside where he hides all the fear-filled feelings, the unnecessary the uncertainty of existence must not show. He dare not think, why do the others hate us so? Just yesterday, his love was whole with a roof and windows and doors. His fleeting thoughts, I don't want my dad to be dead like my mate's dad. I don't want the bombs to hurt my mom. I need to protect her. There is only one mother and one father allowed per family. All the rest are strangers. I am afraid. Just yesterday, his family was whole with the roof and windows and doors. Just yesterday, his, whole, his world was whole and his house had a roof and windows and doors to keep out the dampness and the cold. Just yesterday, he had a mom and dad to holiday with and be safe. But today brings the knowledge his world has been bombed. Just yesterday, his world was whole with a roof and windows and doors. It is the same world, but his view has been shifted. This child's soul has been hurt. The world is now an unsafe place, a place where bombs are dropped with the intention of killing and destroying. Just yesterday, this church was whole with a roof and windows and doors. For a moment, I was that boy as I stood before the entrance to the church in Portsmouth, England. The entrance to the church with no roof and no windows and no doors. Thinking of the child who stood in this experience of learning when just yesterday this church was whole with a window and roof and doors. Stand in front of any church or temple or mosque and imagine it with no roof and no windows and no doors. Imagine a boy in any nation, in any culture, in any language, standing there when just yesterday for them, his or her, his or her world was whole with a roof and windows and doors. End of form. Wow, Neil, that brought back a lot of memories. I don't know if you know, but I grew up in South London. I was born in the late 1940s. And I played in bombed out houses. <laughs> and my mother-in-law went through the Blitz and was traumatized so much that living in Canada 20 years later, when there was a thunderstorm, she thought it was the bombs coming and would go and hide under the bed. Mm. And, you know, it stays with you. you. You know, the damage that's done 
to uh, not just the physical damage, but the emotional damage, you know, that the trauma that those people that survive are going to carry with them. I think that's, I think that's the message of this poem Mm -hmm. is we have hurt the children in Ukraine that will hate Russians forever and they will fear forever. Such is the Thank case. You. Thank, Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> you know, women, this is Women's Month, but Mother's Day, it was uh, interesting to find out some years ago that, that it came about through a mother writing the president asking just for a cessation of the war and that women, uh, as bearers of children for great percentage of their lives, women are the people that are spending lots of time with children who put their faces in their, on their shoulders to be petted and to, to be comforted. And so uh, the outrage that a number of people have had at the thought of this child that they've born being ordered to go to war or being caught up in war has led to a lot of support for movements to make the world a more peaceful place. So I hope that that poem will also contribute to making a world a more peaceful place where there aren't more children looking at where they used to go to church or where they used to live or having nightmares when they hear a loud sound outside. So I thank you for coming today and thank you for uh, Deborah for sharing the encouragement, the information about the information diva, how people can learn how they can do a book, do their own book for $2.65. There are a few more costs that go into it, but the net is you don't have to pay $1,200 in order to get a book printed. Um, And Nancy, thank you for telling us about your happiest place. Uh, How can people reach you? The best way to reach me is to, (laughs) what you said first, email me. So you'd email me at theinformationdivaonline at gmail.com. Or you can go to theinformationdiva.com and find information about me there. Okay, Nancy? Oh, if you're looking for a pet sitter, <laughs> dog walker. <laughs> it's happiestpetservices.ca. Without further ado, <laughs> I'll say thank you and goodbye to you. I look forward to seeing you again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's been really wonderful listening to Deborah, Nancy, and me. Very touching poems.